Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Divorced Girl Smiling Podcast. My name is Jackie Pilisoff, and I'm your host. I'm the founder of Divorced Girl Smiling, the company that connects people facing divorce with trusted, vetted divorce professionals. We're also a podcast, a website, a mobile app, and I offer the free consult. Before we get started, I want to take a minute to introduce you to one of the newest Divorce Girl Smiling Trusted Professionals. Her name is Michelle Heffron, and Michelle is a divorce coach and life strategist. So fear, doubt, and self-sabotage are three things that divorcing women are prone to, myself included, all those years ago. And when I was getting divorced, I wish I would have had an opportunity to work with Michelle because Michelle helps people deal with these emotions and get people back on track to living a life that they love. Michelle brings so much experience to the table, including her own personal story of divorce and reinventing herself. So if you want to learn more about Michelle, you can find her at michelleheffron.com or in the trusted professional section of Divorced Girl Smiling. So when people think of abuse in a relationship or in a marriage, they think about physical abuse usually first because you can see a bruise or a black eye or something like that. And that's what people think of. But there's many different kinds of abuse. There's emotional abuse, verbal abuse, all different kinds. But today I want to talk about financial abuse. And I believe that financial abuse is the kind of abuse that is the le- gets the least attention because nobody knows about it except for the person who's the victim and obviously the person who is the perpetrator. And financial abuse in a marriage is really tricky. It's difficult. Of course, it's about power. And it's really an awful, awful problem to have. And if you're a victim, I'm so sorry. And what I want to talk about is signs of financial abuse and then steps to take if you think you're a victim. And to talk about this with me today, I have therapist Julie Walton. And Julie is an LCPC and a therapist on Chicago's North Shore. She's the founder of North Shore Reach. And hi, Julie. Hi, Jackie. Thanks for having me today. Thank you so much for being on here. I think this topic is so important, and I love the article that you wrote for Divorce Girl Smiling about it. I want to tell my listeners a couple more things about you. Julie is also a trained divorce therapist and certified divorce mediator. So she earned those credentials from Northwestern and just has significant experience in this kind of thing and in financial abuse. So Julie, I want to start off by asking you in your experience as a therapist, have you seen a lot of financial abuse? I mean, tell me what when people come to you and you figure it out or they tell you that they're a victim, like what are they like? So I think that the first thing to point out is that you're right, that financial abuse, it's, it's very prevalent and it's very pervasive, but oftentimes people don't understand that they're being abused because they're not being hit. They're not being, you know, demeaned or 
made fun of or shamed publicly. But financial abuse takes place behind closed doors where the perpetrator, who is the person in power or the abuser, is very, very much aware of, in control of, and um, just completely it has a, a power play over money when it comes to the way their partner or their the abusee spends money. And so what happens is what becomes really evident is that people who are being abused financially are afraid to spend money. They're afraid to, to make plans with friends because they would have to justify going out to lunch or buying a cup of coffee. They're afraid to bring attention to themselves because if they bring attention to themselves, then conversations end up talking with friends about vacations or about shopping or about decorating their house or about going out for dinner or about their kids' college funds. And those conversations all are rooted in money. And when someone's financially abused, they have no control and no say over the way their money is spent. And it doesn't mean that they come from a family where money is an issue. They could have a lot of money in terms of, you know, their marriage and, you know, family and things like that. But what happens is the perpetrator, as you put it, is, is exerting control and exerting power over the way their partner spends money because they want to foster a dependence so that the abusee doesn't have the ability to think on their own and make decisions on their own and enjoy life on their own. They are creating a dependence on them on themselves so that that the abusee stays with them, you know, has very little say in things and doesn't have the ability to leave them, find someone else, be happy without their control. Okay, you just answered my question because I was going to say, why do people do this? And I think it's all about control. I actually know someone who is a victim of this. It's all about control and it's all about the person's husband is afraid she's going to leave him. And so the only thing he can keep her there by controlling her financially. So that's sick. So let's talk about some specific examples of financial abuse. So you just made reference to like the husband being the abuser and and 99.9% of the time that is the case. There are times when it's the opposite way if the woman is the breadwinner and you know the husband is dependent upon her. But let's just for you know ease of this podcast, let's just assume that it's the husband who is the abuser. Um, so, so what are some examples? Well, he may question every, first of all, he may say to her, where are you going today? Why are you going there? And then follow up with how much did you spend? Let me see the receipt. He may go through her wallet and he may go through her purse. He may look through her drawers to try and see whether or not she's stashing money or go through the mail to to see if she's, you know, opened a credit card on her own. Um, he may forbid her from having access to any of their passwords so that she can't access money. He may say to her, you know, here's a hundred dollars, you need to make this last. And then follow up with, well, when she says, you know, I, I don't have enough money to buy groceries, well, where's the hundred dollars? Let me see the receipts that, that you spent it on or why do you need to get your hair done 
why can't you, you know, why do you need to get your hair done at this place that costs X amount? You need to start getting it done at Great Clips where it's only, you know, $29 because you don't need to spend that kind of money on yourself. Any kind of back and forth between a husband and wife about money where the husband refuses to allow the wife money and she has to be completely dependent and ask for money is financial abuse. Um, and what do you think that does to somebody's self-esteem? I mean, what are the effects? It's very, very demeaning. It's very shameful. It's There's a word that we use called parentifying where he makes her feel like she's a child. You know, kids don't have access to money like adults do. And if they want to go out for the weekend, they have to ask their parents for money unless they have a job. So it's the same type of relationship. It's a power struggle, like a hierarchical relationship where he's the boss. You're only allowed to do what I tell you that you can do. And so if you need money for that, I'm sorry, you don't get to do that. It's not your choice. It's my choice, how you spend our money. And, and speaking of spending our money, he may go buy himself a car or he may go buy himself a boat or he may, you know, he may choose to do things that are very extravagant and and have no concern about how much he's spending. But that's because he's doing the spending. So 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 signs of financial abuse are when a woman has no access to money. When decisions about how she spends money are made by her husband when he spends a lot of money but doesn't give her any part of a that decision making or b the pleasure um it is completely 100% a control mechanism that's that's put in place to keep her in a position you know like in a, a submissive position so that he has power over her and the other thing that we didn't mention is the person who's being abused is not allowed to get a job. If it comes up, they're like, no, that's not going to work. You need to stay home with the kids or whatever. Um, And what I think, although I'm not a therapist, but Julie, you can tell me if I'm right, is that all this does is make the victim's self-esteem just become crushed and they become a shell and they don't know how to get out of it, much like someone who's being physically abused or verbally abused. I mean, there's not a lot of difference in the outcome of what the person looks like when they're being abused. Correct. Um, and I think one thing that's really important to mention is that in any abusive situation, whether it's physical, sexual, emotional, verbal, or financial, the abusee, the victim, is often made to believe that it's their fault, that they deserve this. So when a wife says to a husband, I'd like to get a job, you know, his response is going to be, why do you need a job? Why do you need money? I give you money for everything that you need. Why do you need to leave the house and go be with people? I'm here. Our kids are here. So they're made to feel belittled, shamed, and also that that they deserve to be treated this way for things that they have done, that they brought this on themselves. You're listening to the Divorced Girl Smiling Podcast with your host, Jackie Pillisoff. 
I'm here with Julie Walton, therapist and LCPC, and Julie and I are talking about financial abuse in a marriage. I'm going to take a short break. When we come back, Julie and I are going to get into how you can get help if you feel like you're a victim of financial abuse in your marriage. We'll be right back. I want to talk about two Divorced Girl Smiling trusted professionals who I think you're going to want to know about. First off, are you going through a high-conflict, high-asset divorce in Illinois? If so, I would highly recommend the law firm of Katz and Stefani. They have offices in Chicago and in Bannockburn. And I have known co-founder Dan Stefani for 20 years. He is extremely well-known, extremely successful, but a very humble person. And you really would never know, just a down-to-earth, really compassionate person, very dedicated to the profession. And he also has nine lawyers at his firm who all have different niches. I know all of them, and they are wonderful attorneys, very trustworthy, really professional, and they work with high net worth divorce. If you want to learn more about Katz and Stefani, you can go to katzstefani.com or find them in the trusted professional section of Divorced Girl Smiling. I also want to talk about the financial firm Vester Capital. Pete Mullins and Elaine Moss are a team, and Pete and Elaine do financial planning and investing. Pete and Elaine have been my financial advisors for eight or nine years, and I cannot express how wonderful they are, both from a service and a performance standpoint. I'm telling you, if you're going through a divorce, which they specialize in, and you probably have so many questions, and Elaine and Pete are always there. They're so kind. They're so compassionate. They're so experienced, and honestly, I truly enjoy working with them. If you want to learn more, you can visit VesterCapital.com or find them in the Trusted Professional section of Divorced Girls Smiling. Welcome back to the Divorced Girls Smiling podcast. This is Jackie Pillisoff, your host. I'm here with Julie Walton, LCPC and therapist, and Julie and I are talking about financial abuse in a marriage. Julie, let's get into how people can get help if they're listening to this and they're thinking, oh my gosh, I just realized I'm being abused. So I want to say that financial abuse is a very difficult area to be able to, you know, become empowered because the financial control over the victim, it stops them from having a lot of freedoms. It stops them from having independence. If you're being physically abused, at some point, the physical abuse stops. There's a cycle of abuse that takes place. It stops. The perpetrator apologizes. There's a honeymoon period, and then it starts again. And so someone who's being physically abused during that honeymoon period has the ability to leave, has the ability to go hide out somewhere safe, call the police, and get that kind of a help, and get that kind of help. In financially abusive situations, when no, when the, when the victim has no access to money, it's a lot harder because, of course, the first thing you want to do is contact an attorney. 
you know, you want to start stashing money. You want to become empowered, but because you have very little access to money and you're constantly being asked to justify how you've spent that money, it becomes really, really difficult to get help in that way. So what I always recommend, and I think it's, it's the most important first step is to get support from people that care about you and that love you. In the beginning of the podcast, you mentioned how it's not always obvious that someone's being financially abused, but there are signs that are, you know, kind of sent out into the universe that let other people know something's going on in that marriage. This like woman- close friends. You mean- Exactly. Well, your close girlfriends will probably know that something's going on. Exactly. Or your parents, if you're close to your mom or if you have a sister, somebody in your world that knows that things aren't right is the first person that you need to ask for help. You need to tell them the truth and not be ashamed about what's happening. You didn't do this. You don't deserve it. It's being done to you and you need help. So resources, whether that be going to... um you know, there's free resources like Shalva, which is uh, a resource for the Jewish community where domestic abuse is taking place. You can reach out to them and they can put you in touch with someone. And you don't of have course. to be Jewish to reach out to Shalva either. Correct. Correct. Any, any type of organization like that, that's there to support women who are abused. That's a really great place to start. But also, like I said, a parent, a friend, a sister, someone who knows that you cannot access money. And maybe they'll give you a check, you know, for $10,000. Obviously, it's a lot of money and it's a lot to ask. But if they know that you're hurting and that's the only way that you can retain an attorney, that's where you start. So becoming empowered by utilizing your resources. Um, if you are able to access your financial reports and your financial paperwork, because you've, for whatever reason, been allowed to have access to those passwords, go to the bank, freeze your credit report, switch things out of your, out of both of your names into your name. Um, start stashing in a suitcase in your closet, underwear, socks, a toothbrush, cash whenever you can, <clears throat> whatever small amounts you can, so that if you have to leave, you have some things to keep you, you know, for a few days. Um, you can't have a whole suitcase because obviously if he finds it, that's a really big problem, but small things here and there to help you if you need to get away. Safety is the most important thing. Even though this is a, this is a, a mental game that he's playing with you, you don't know what could happen when someone's financially abusive. It can lead to other things. So protecting yourself, protecting your children and having you know, a, a, a circle of resources, a team of people that can help you is a really important way to protect yourself from this. Well, it's interesting the way you're talking, because you know how when people are physically abused, they say like, come up with a plan, a plan to get out. It sounds like this is similar, which I wouldn't think. But if somebody goes to, let's say they contact a divorce attorney because their mom gave them $5,000 for a retainer, the divorce attorney is going to automatically say, well, like, oh, okay, you want a divorce? Let's file. Let's get a temporary restraining order. But are there people who are financially abused who don't want a divorce and they just want it to stop? Tell me about that scenario. I'm sure that there are a lot of people who don't really believe that what's happening is that they're being gaslighted and that they're being 
taken advantage of and that they're being sort of imprisoned. You know, um, those people have been sort of groomed to believe that this is fine. This life is fine. I, I, I have food. I have a lovely home. I have a husband who doesn't beat me. He doesn't hurt me. He's not even making me go get a job. So just because I don't have access to money doesn't mean that my life is terrible. It just means that I have no choice. I have no say. As in anything, there's always going to be people that are going to be okay with that. But if you're not okay with it, and you know that you're not you're not deserving of this kind of a lifestyle and that it's not healthy and that it is demeaning and it's creating a lack of confidence and self-esteem in you, then that is a time for you to go seek help. And I have another question. Do people ever go to couples counseling with their spouse and say in front of a safe person in a safe environment, I feel like I'm being financially abused. Is that a good idea to do that? Is that like going to make it worse? So I think I think that it depends on the couple. There certainly are people that have come to me with my knowledge that that's going on, but the way that we would approach it to protect the victim is not to say, so I understand that there's financial abuse going on in your marriage. It would be more like, let's talk about, you know, the finances and who gets to say how you spend money and what happens when the victim, you know, wants to go buy herself a new winter coat. How does that look in your marriage? And if the husband is honest and if the wife feels strong enough within that safe space to be transparent, then it will come out. But I think typically in any abusive relationship, you have to be very, very careful how you approach it. Because if you try to put the perpetrator in a spotlight unknowingly, you know, if you blindside them, there can be much worse consequences once you leave my office. That's why a safety plan is really important because you need to know your partner and you need to know how far you can go with pushing them and wanting them to talk about it and wanting to change. Wow, what a tough situation to be in. But I want to end this podcast on a positive note and tell people, Julie, is there light at the end of the tunnel? Do people get out of this situation? And if they do what is their life like after? So I think absolutely everybody that's in this situation should have hope. I think the minute you start realizing something feels wrong about this, instead of letting it accumulate and become something that is out of control, talk to someone outside of your marriage, talk to your sister, talk to your best friend, talk to your employer, whoever it is that you trust, and let them know that something's not right and start building your empowering safety net. And that is the way that you can get out of this. It's not to say that your marriage can't be saved. You know, there's a lot of people that want to save their marriage. And sometimes when men have this whole control and power and hierarchical image in their mind, if they do the work, they can, they can change that. But Oftentimes they don't really understand what they're doing and that, the, let me retrace this a little bit and say, most financial abuse is intentional. 
it is meant to control the victim. But that's not to say that if you go to work, if you go to therapy and you do work on it, that the husband can't change. And it's also not to say that if you go to therapy and you do work on it, that the woman can't become empowered and finally say, I don't want to live like this anymore. So there's definitely hope. And it just depends on your marriage and the two people involved in it as to how it may turn out if you get help. Julie, thank you so much for taking time to do this. What a great podcast with so much wonderful information. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, unfortunately, it's a really ugly subject, but there are a lot of resources out there and there's a lot of help to be had for people who really need it. And, um, you know, I wish them all the best of luck because nobody deserves to live like that. And if you want to reach out to Julie, Julie's company is called North Shore Reach. So you can go to NorthShoreReach.com if you want to set up a consult with Julie. In closing, what I want to say is that if you're listening to this and you just realized, oh my gosh, I'm too scared to take the steps needed to get out of this. I don't know if I can do it. We hope that this podcast helps you get the courage or move you along to get to a better place. Because I want to tell my listeners, you deserve to be financially independent, to be happy, to be healthy, and to have good self-esteem, to be empowered, to have control over your family's finances or partial control with your spouse, you deserve it. So we both know, Julie and I, that it's not easy to take a step. It's terrifying. So we understand that. But whatever you decide to do, we're in your corner, we're here for you, and we are wishing you all the best. So with that said, if you want to find trusted, vetted divorce professionals, or listen to more podcasts, or read articles, or sign up for my free consult, come see me at divorcedgirlsmiling.com. Thank you so much for listening, everyone, and we'll talk to you real soon.